0: Well, if you have your Bibles, you know what book we're opening to. If you're new with us, or you haven't been here most of the summer, we're in a series on Mark, the Gospel of Mark. And uh, this week we're in chapter 5. And what I've been asking everybody to do is just read one chapter a week. So, um, if you were here last week, I encouraged you all this this past week to be reading Mark chapter 5. And then I promise to preach somewhere... In Mark chapter five today, and starting today, you will begin to read Mark chapter six, and you'll read it every day. It's okay; it's, it just takes a few minutes. Read, pray, ask God to raise questions up in you, and uh, and and just begin to wrestle with the text. It's a beautiful, wonderful part of the story. And so uh, next Sunday. I said, I promised to preach from somewhere in there, but I'm going away this week for the last part of my schooling that I've been doing in Mexico. In fact, Thursday night, um, I should be graduating, although we don't call it graduation because they believe this is a lifelong process. And so we are not given a diploma. We are given the symbol of a servant, a deacon's stole to remember that we are called to serve. And so um, I just want to take this moment to say thank you to the leadership of the church uh, who two years ago said, Pastor, as I came to them and said, I'd like to try and apply to this. I don't know if I'm going to get in. They said, we would love for you to be a part of that. We want that. And I, I hope you have sensed that it's been a great part of developing me as a pastor and as a, just as a human being wanting to follow after Christ. And so I finished that up this week. And so I want to say thank you to you all for allowing me to do that to go some of you have provided airline miles so that we could go so i could go and be a part of some of you have given hotel miles so it's not such a burden on the church and and some of you through your giving have just enabled me to pay the tuition and do those things so i'm i'm excited to finish up but that means that this week i don't have a lot of extra brain space and uh and so joe savage is going to preach for us one more time next sunday so you're going to want to be here that's right i'm excited about he did amazing i said this then i still say it today it was that was the best first sermon i have ever heard i really mean that like it was you blew me out of the water my first sermon and your first sermon joe forget it not even in comparison but uh you'll want to be here joe's going to do it i'm going to be here too but Joe's going to take that burden off of me to, to try and fly back on Saturday and be ready for a message on Sunday and all those kinds of things. So thank you, Joe. I really appreciate you doing that. So Mark chapter 5. We're going to begin at verse 1. If you have a, uh, don't have a Bible, go ahead and grab one in the seat back in front of you. You can open to page 685 or you can read it off the screen behind me. Uh, as we go through this very strange passage for us in 2017. But I hope we'll begin to hear what God has to say to us through this. Hear the Gospel. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons from his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. And Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how He has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, come and... And declare to us the Gospel. Use my mouth and words if necessary. But we are a people in need of mercy and release. So we pray and ask these things in Your name. Amen. Now, this this is a strange passage. This would have been much easier if I had just gone with the... uh, the, the later passage, uh, you know, which talks about Jairus' daughter being uh, raised from death to life. And in the middle of that, sandwiched in there, is that story of a woman who's healed from a long illness. But for some reason, I felt kind of compelled uh, to talk in this passage, which is unusual for me because, um, because of just the normal, natural kind of weirdness of this passage of impure spirits and demons and pigs and all those kinds of things. And and I don't want to deny any of those things. And and yet, I also feel like sometimes we can go too far down that road. Does that make sense? I think sometimes uh, we can kind of go down a road where we kind of, you know, if I trip, you know, oh, well, it was the demon who untied my shoelaces. Uh, or, you know, we, we can kind of equate... Trivial things with things that are really evil. And I think we do a disservice to true evil in the world when we do that. But I also think we can go too far the other direction and just make it all about natural consequences and, you know, mental health and all those kinds of things, not discounting that. But we can go so far that way that we kind of also in some ways, do the same thing by kind of robbing this understanding that what God is up to in the world, there is something deeply spiritual about it. And we cannot discount that when we move uh, against that flow, there is something spiritual on the other side. And, and, and just to make things even more confusing, we can kind of set up this dichotomy and kind of make evil, you know, the, the equal enemy of Jesus, or God, or the kingdom of God. And, 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 and we just can't do that kind of dichotomy. It really doesn't serve us very well. Have I muddied the waters enough for you to see why a preacher might like to, if you've given the opportunity, might like to talk about Jarius's daughter instead of a demon-possessed man? Okay? Uh, and yet, I was just grabbed by this passage. So first of all, last week we ended with Jesus, He he had shared a lot of parables. And if people really understood those parables that talk about this kingdom of God that truly really transforms everything and really uh, is coming, but it's going to be entirely different from the way that the people of Jesus' day and age uh, was were expecting it, it really meant that there would be a lot of upheaval, and I'm not really sure we would really like that. It would create a lot of storms. And it was interesting that Mark then puts us in the boat with the disciples and Jesus asleep in the midst of the storm. And we find out that although the kingdom upends everything and creates, can create storms in our life, we are in the boat with one who has the ability to calm the storms. Amen? Well, it's interesting. We leave that passage and we come right in across the lake with Jesus and the disciples and we find a man with a storm raging within him. What will Jesus do? Well, we we have a good hint. If you were just reading the Gospel, we have a good hint of what Jesus will do. But he rushes in. And here comes this man. Now, there are some things that we need to understand, so I'm going to be scholarly for just a little bit if that's okay. Uh, we know that this is this is not an area that was populated with Jewish folks, so these were outsiders. How do we know that? Well, they were raising pigs. And see, pigs were not a clean animal, and so uh, good Jews would not be raising pigs. They're missing out on bacon, I know, but... Uh, but they wouldn't have those things. So we kind of get this glimmer of, oh well, wh- why is Jesus feeling compelled to go out to these non-Jews? He's bringing the kingdom of God. Why is He going to people who aren't a part of this kingdom of God? We also know that there was a lot more unclean about this man. And Jesus is is going, and He's going to have this encounter with this man. And we've read the story already, so we know He goes. He has this encounter. He feels compelled to go. He goes to this non-Jewish area. He meets with one person and goes back. What a ministry. He, he goes in and we find that there is something even more unclean about this man because for Jews of that day to touch someone who is dead or to be in a cemetery or to walk over the place where someone has been buried uh, makes you unclean. And here we have a man who is making his home among the tombs. So we have Jesus, the storm calmer, moving towards a place that is not Jewish, bringing the kingdom. And we have a man who is completely unclean, who seems to be the only person Jesus is interested in. And he has a storm raging within him and he's living out in the places that are completely unclean for good people inside religion. The man comes storming out. Now we learn that he has an impure spirit. Now we've already talked about this tension that we're wrestling with. Not to make it all about demons and being scared. And not about denying that there's anything like that in the world. Where do we find ourselves? There's something about this man that he has become obsessed with something. And in the obsession, has in some ways become possessed by something. And it's interesting that those things, the name of the demon that we learn is the name, what? Do you remember from the story? Legion. It's a very military term. You see, in, in those days, it had been hundreds of years since the Roman legions had come into the land and, had, and were ruling from Britain to Egypt. <laughs> And maybe even beyond. And they crushed anyone who put up resistance. They were the military superpower of the day. And no one stood a chance. And it didn't matter Jew or Gentile, whatever you were, you came in when you heard the marching of the legions, you knew your time was at hand. We're not told this about this man, but I find it interesting that he seems obsessed with military power. Maybe he had seen his family slaughtered. I don't know. Maybe he just was in awe of how well this well-oiled military machine worked. How powerful it was. How whatever it was. And somehow in the midst of either admiring or hating and despising, somewhere in the midst of that, it turned for him. And he became a powerful person, and yet it was not good for who he was as a human being. We see that he's out and he's alone, and we see that no one can bind him, and we see that he's out in the tombs, we see that he's unclothed, and he has really, literally gone insane. He's out of his mind. You see, when we become obsessed with certain things, there is a certain sense we cannot deny that there is a spiritual quality, and there is something of possession. I think it's no mistake, you remember, Mark is writing his gospel to the Romans, right? In Rome. So to kind of make it understandable. This is interesting. He's pulling this in. Where are you, O Rome, in your culture? What are you obsessed with? Is it beginning to possess you? Is it beginning to dehumanize who you are? And I know I'm talking to Romans, but I think it might just apply to us today. Can I say that? Does that create too much of a storm? What are we obsessed with in our culture today, brothers and sisters? And I'm not talking about out there all the time, although it applies out there. I'm talking about there are some of us in the church who become obsessed with certain things. We, we become obsessed with the furtherance sometimes of our nation more than the kingdom. We become obsessed because we have so much, which is wonderful. But St. Francis used to say when we begin to possess things, then we need something to protect the things that we have. And it becomes this back and forth. And there is, you know, don't, don't hear me wrong. I love my country. I have been blessed by being, happened to have been born into the very heart of this country. I was born in Kansas. Doesn't get much more middle than that, right? I have blessings because of where I live. But sometimes, brothers and sisters, we can become obsessed with things like that and it begins to possess. We could go on, we could talk about the things that we have. Can become things, you know, you've heard it. Do your, do you have your possessions or do your possessions have you? Are you, are you tracking with me here? We can get very obsessed with certain leaders and certain things and we begin to, if we're not careful, we begin to see that some of those leaders and some of those things that we are holding and being obsessed about are and antithec- are the antithesis of what Jesus is trying to do in the kingdom. Remember, Jesus said later on, my kingdom is not of this world, meaning it is nonviolent. My kingdom doesn't have the same things at heart as the kingdoms of this world. And my brothers and my sisters, I think the Gospel today is calling us to check... Allow the Holy Spirit to check what we are obsessed with and ask the real question, is it possessing me? I think it's no mistake that we see that this man could no longer be bound. Have you ever had an argument with someone who was so determined that they were right that no matter what you said, it made no difference? Kind of like that, isn't it? Don't you love having those conversations? I mean, I I love them. No. They're like a person who can't be contained anymore. They know. They've become so obsessed and somewhat possessed and that, that you just can't. There's no way you can put anything to try and guide them in the way of sanity and no way. I know better. We do this, don't we? I just I just find this so so fascinating. And yet Jesus seems to make this his one purpose in this land. So he comes to this man and the man if you if you've ever worried that evil, however you describe that, demons and Satan and all those things, or, or just the natural evil in the world, if you've ever worried that that was more powerful than the kingdom that Jesus is bringing, read this passage again and again. What does it say? While Jesus was still a long way out, He hadn't even landed yet. This man saw Him and started running to Him What and kneels before Him. What are you here to do to Me, Jesus? Son of the Most High God. Now, if you are a Roman, ooh, wow, that's a political word right there. Caesars are the sons of God. And here comes this one, who while he's still a long way off, he's drawn and kneels before. Don't ever think that evil gets the final word. Oh, I thought I'd get an amen for that. Don't ever get in this mindset to think that evil gets the final word. Evil runs and kneels before our Lord while He is still a long way off. And Jesus, we know the story. The demons come out. Into the pigs, out they go. That's that's where, uh, if you were a good Jew, you would think they should go. Evil, it's kind of unclean, it should go into unclean thing. And it should go back into the ocean where it comes from. They thought monsters and things came out of the ocean. If you'd read Daniel a lot, you would have seen that. and And so you would have this mentality, that's where they go. And away they go. But we find out that those who are in the culture of the storm-tossed man, Find any mention of a kingdom that is different, crazier than a possessed man who they can't restrain living in a cemetery. Don't you find that kind of, kind of interesting? I, I mean, here he comes out, uh, the demons go out, they go into the lake, people run, they tell, and they come back and they see this man who has... I mean, can you imagine if you lived anywhere near this cemetery? Like, you hear this guy just running around all the time, howling, clinking of chains, and and all these kinds of things. you you probably told your kids, no sneaking out at night, or the, the stormy man will get you, you know. I mean, it's one of those things. But they've become so accustomed to this obsession and possession, whatever that looks like in that day and age, that that's what they expect. And so when Jesus comes... And sets Him free. And they come. Look at it it right there. When they they come and they find Him, what does it say there? Uh, Hang on. Got to go back. They find Him clothed and in His right mind. Dressed and in His right mind. And then what does it say? And they were afraid. I can't tell you how many times I have talked with people about what God wants to do in their life with something they're obsessed or possessed by. And when you talk about what Jesus wants to do and how his kingdom is different, they say, it doesn't work that way. That's fine for you to believe that, but you're living in a fantasy world. Because you see, when Jesus comes and makes a change or a push in culture, Or when Jesus makes a change in something that has become so the norm, we can't see it any other way, we get afraid. What will that mean? I mean, if Jesus comes and starts poking around in our possessions, or comes poking around in our obsessions with country or military or politics or leaders or or any number of other things, we are likely to say, Jesus, no, no, I'm afraid of that kind of work, of that kind of thing. I don't think we can do that. And in fact, for some of us, we have the audacity, like these folks, to ask Jesus to leave. Please get out. Now, these folks might have known. I mean, here was one that was crying out, Son of God, that's political. Here is one who cast out a legion into pigs and put them back in the sea. If, if the Caesars found out that there was a, a, a person named Jesus who was talking about the kingdom of God, a different kingdom, and doing these things, those Romans may come and crush us. What I ask, brothers and sisters, is it any different for us? if we begin to declare that Jesus has brought a kingdom that supersedes even the world superpower of its day, us, and we begin to live into that, if we begin to declare that there are better ways to live than consumed by our possessions and those kinds of things, is it any different for us? We could be nervous about those kinds of things, those kinds of statements. And when we make those kinds of statements, it can, can create, has a great potential to create a lot of storminess. And it means that you and I have to declare our faith in the one who is able to calm any storm. I don't, I hope you're tracking with me on this. Because this is what we are called to be. This story is about, really about faith. Did you know that the opposite of faith is not doubt? The opposite of faith is fear. And what these people experienced when they saw Jesus make the change in a stormy man who had become obsessed with some type of military thing and possessed, and he has calmed and in his right mind, they are fearful. But there is one who puts all of his faith in the one who calmed the storm. Our formerly possessed man. I think it's fun that Mark says that over. The man formerly possessed by an impure spirit, or the formerly demon-possessed man, begs to go with Jesus. Let me go with you. And Jesus says, no. Here's something better. Go. Go and tell others how merciful the Lord has been to you. So where do we go? I don't know what you're obsessed or possessed with. I'm not here to declare demons out of someone. I just know that we're human beings. So am I. And we have things that we wrestle with. And there are some things that we can get really wrapped up in. And and it can really possess. It can dehumanize others. It It can really even dehumanize us as an individual. We can dehumanize ourselves. So what remedy do we need? I think we need to be reminded of the mercy of God found in the one who is able to calm any storm. And so today that person invites us to his table. He invites us to realize that his kingdom is not one that is one with sword and spear and violence, but one who makes you welcome at a table and gives you bread and cup and acceptance and invites you To find your place in this kingdom, to have your storm calmed, whatever it may look like. And so today, I want to invite you to the table. If this is your first time here, I want you to know, the only thing I'll say, if you are hungry for the Jesus that I have just described, I welcome you to the table. He welcomes you to the table. It is His table. It's not mine. It's not the table of of the church of the Nazarene. It is the table of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you are hungry for this kind of grace, then I invite you in just a moment to come. I'm going to ask uh, Scott and Keith. I'm going to ask Rod and Steve. Would you come? Lori, will you come and play? In just a moment, we're all going to stand. And if you would like to receive... I'm going to invite you to stand and you'll move this way to the aisle and you'll come down and you will receive bread and cup. There will be someone standing right in front of each place. And I invite you to take and go ahead and eat right away. I want you to eat like you're starving. I don't know about you, but I need mercy. I need to be reminded of broken body and shed blood that shows God's heart pouring out to you and me. Whatever I'm obsessed or possessed with can be let go as I receive bread and cup. Take it and eat it right away on your, on your walk back to your chair, to wherever you're sitting. So we'll stand, we'll go this way, down, across, back down the other aisle and back in. But let's stand and, and receive. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on us. And we pray just like on the night that you took bread and broke it with your disciples, and you said, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. And you said, this is my blood shed for you, poured out. Take and drink. We pray that we would receive it, knowing that we can become obsessed and possessed with quite a few things. So we pray that we would make room in our hands and our hearts to receive your body, your broken body, and your shed blood that somehow mysteriously becomes for us exactly what we need, grace and mercy. And we pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you stand? Receive the final blessing. You encounter the One who can calm the storms. The storms that rage... Out in nature, of course, we've seen that. But the one who calms the storms on the inside. I pray that you would receive the mercy and grace that you are searching for and longing for and need at the core of who we are as human beings. I pray that that presence will go with you and guide you and help you and sustain you. And may you hear Him say again and again, Peace. Be still. Declare to those in your home the way that God has been merciful to you. And I pray that this would happen in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. One God forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. Have a great, great afternoon. Start reading Mark 6 this week. Don't forget, Joe will be here to preach next week. Alrighty, God bless.